Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor. And today we have a special guest in the booth that we have created in one of our children's, I don't know, op- not offices, uh, rooms for kids' ministry, right? Um, but I have Mr. Colin Jones with me here. What's up, man? How are Glad you doing? Glad to be here. I'm doing good. Yeah? Doing well? So... Glad, glad you are here as well. We wanted to do a special little podcast in light of Reformation Day, which Woo-hoo. is coming up, right? October 31st. And so, you, Colin, you just had the opportunity to preach uh, this last Wednesday. On justification. On justification. By we, grace, through faith, in Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. And were you dressed up like Luther? I wasn't. I kind of wanted to do that. I thought about dressing up in a kilt, but then I also didn't do that one. So yeah. Scottish Reformation. That would have been cool. Yeah. You need to cut your hair, though, probably. Mm, probably so. Yeah. To do the cloister look or whatever. I don't know what that's called. Kind of a monk bald ring. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's like we a bowl bring, cut, but it kind of went wrong. We should bring that back. I bet you if, like, Brad Pitt did it, people would start doing they it. They would. Like people Mor- do anything Brad Pitt does. Or, like, Morgan Whalen. Mm. Is that how you say his Wallen? name? I, call, I say it Wallen, but I like to make fun of it and okay. say Whalen. I mean, he's bringing back mullets. Mm-hmm. Man, that I is, thought about getting one. I don't understand right before prom. I don't understand the justification for that. Get it? So I see what you did what there. We're talking yeah. about. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, what we wanted to do was we wanted to have. I wanted to have a further conversation with Colin. Colin's been reading a ton. I remember this was my favorite sermon to preach. I preached back in 2020 over COVID under our tent, and then every church that I get asked to go preach, I preached my the sermon on Romans three on justification, and it's just it's vital. I told Daniel, Daniel couldn't be with us today, but Daniel and Colin, that if they get the doctrine of justification wrong, they shouldn't be a pastor. They shouldn't even pursue it, right? So that was the task, and Colin did well last night preaching uh, to the students, but I know that there's so much more that we could have talked about, right? That I would have loved to say. Yeah, <laughs> and that's actually a good place to start at, of yeah. that you preach that at every church that you go to or that you should not be a pastor or consider that if you can't get justification, right? Um, because... In Paul's day, justification was this doctrine that he was fired up about. It's this, yeah. I, would, I honestly believe it's the chief doctrine or the central doctrine of the Christian mm-hmm. faith. If you haven't got justification, then you can't understand yeah, anything I mean, else. I mean, Galatians is absolutely nuts, man. Like, Paul, <laughs> I can just see, like, just so mad. Like I am sweating bullets as he I am writes astonished it. that you have so quickly deserted him who called you by the grace of Christ and turned into a different gospel. I mean, mm-hmm. we're laughing, but it is, it is sad. I mean, but he is just like, man— Where's the verse where he says, I wish some of you would be emasculated too? So these Jews, they, they were Christians, but they were saying that in order to be saved, you had to also, not only was it by Christ and his finished his work, but it was by circumcision as well. Mm. And so Paul literally says, you know what? If you are, if you are well, first he says in, in chapter 3, he says, um, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. And so he's like, fine, you want to live by the law? Try. <laughs> Try. And then he gets like, I, I don't know, where's the exact verse here? Where he says, I wish that some of you would, he says, to emasculate themselves? If Daniel were here, he would know, yeah. But it's the idea of like, okay, you're going to add circumcision to your justification. You might as well just emasculate yourselves while you're at it. Oh, dude, Paul is so gnarly. He's being, fr- it, like, it's just this attitude of, I'm not messing around. Yep. He is, uh, man. So watch out for Paul. Anyways, gl- the book of Galatians is is amazing. So talking about justification, the verse that you preached on was Galatians two sixteen. But there's so many other verses that also point to this truth. But I think we wanted to camp in Galatians for the next few sermons. We've been going. We've been in a sermon series called All of Grace, 
So whenever I say that, it sounds like I'm saying olive. Olive grace? Yeah. It sounds yummy. I don't know. <laughs> All of grace. Um, and so uh, we started with the doctrine of election and then how then God calls those whom he has chosen in Christ and then sends the Holy Spirit to regenerate them, which then the human response to being made alive is turning from sin and receiving Jesus Christ by faith. So faith and then repentance. And then what do we receive when we receive Christ by faith, what is it about Christ and receiving Christ that that saves us? And that's what justification is all about, right? And and that was kind of at the heart of it's even at the it's the schism between the Roman Catholic Church and us and everything, right? So that's the question that we want to talk about. So Colin, you what was your definition of justification? My justification or my definition of justification in order my justification is Christ. <laughs> Yeah. My definition of justification, in order to keep it really simple, because we want to keep it simple in order to understand it, is just that justification is God declaring a sinner to be righteous, hmm. which sounds like a contradiction in terms. So right? the, the idea of declare, is that a forensic, ter- is it a forensic term? Is it a law, legal term? Like it is. What it, is- it's forensic. It's, it's, a, it's like a, a law term. It means, it means to, not necessarily to make, like to... Uh, put righteousness into but it means to declare as righteous okay so like a judge so like a courtroom so gavel boom boom so what's the opposite of justification condemnation okay so for those of you that are listening you're like what does justification mean you got to think divine courtroom you got to think of those that are standing before a holy judge and then the gavel's coming down and they're being declared by that judge either guilty and to be condemned or that they are justified, they are acquitted, right? An acquittal, right? And so that acquittal, if they're going to be acquitted, it needs to be on the grounds of, usually in court's evidence, of their innocence. So on what grounds then, what we're, when it comes to Christianity, on what grounds, if God is to acquit us, to declare us righteous, on what grounds is that acquittal made? That's the heart of it, right? Right. Colin, you want to help me out with this? Yeah, the substance of our justification, I would say, is um, the merits of Christ's life. So when he lives, he lives perfectly under the law. And then when he dies, he dies a death. That In Galatians 3, Paul says, everyone who's under the curse of the law deserves to die this death. Yeah. But Christ, who wasn't under the curse of the law, actually ends up dying that death. And so it's this obedience that Christ is He's actively living under the law, but then it's also this passive obedience that he takes on our punishment. He takes on the full wrath of God that we should have had, that that, yeah. that judge actually declares him guilty when he should have declared mm-hmm. us guilty. So to step back a little bit, so it's on the merits of Christ's righteousness that we are acquitted. How come it's not of works? Like, that's where you started in your sermon last night, right? Yeah. So Galatians two sixteen which I love the Reformation Study Bible says these verses are central in Galatians 15 and 16 and quite possibly are the epistle's thesis statement, right? Uh, yeah, last night I said if you could boil the book of Galatians down to just a f- to one verse, this whole book of what like is it five all or about? six chapters to one verse, it's this, Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's stop there then. So not justified, so we're not acquitted, we're not declared righteous before that judge, on the basis of our good works. Why not? 
because we can't be like in Romans three twenty, like we talk about in um, the sermon mm-hmm. that Paul says. Actually, when the law comes, all it does is just reveals more sin to you. It's mm. like it exasper exasperates exasperates. Yeah, yeah. Um, because God requires. I love these words: exact and perfect obedience to His holy law. Mm. So that because of our nature, it act the law actually works to condemn us. As I was writing, it was interesting to think. Um, I started writing, and I took this out because it could be confused unless you work it out a little bit. Let's work but it out. The law wasn't necessarily meant to be obeyed when it was given to Moses, but it was rather um, given, like Paul says this in Romans 3.20, that the law is given in order to increase trespass or in order to really just to show your sin. It's like those— So uh, there's a dual purpose there, obviously. It's to reveal sin. That's the first first use of the law. Right. Right. And yes, Obviously, it is to be obeyed, but— you're drawing out the tension, which is it's it's impossible. Which is, yeah, which is why I didn't want to say it last night with so little time. But if you really look at the law, it, first to any natural human, its its purpose is to condemn them, not necessarily for them to obey it. But there's also a sense in which they need to obey it. Um, and so, as believers, though, um, then the law its nature towards us changes almost. Where now we are to obey it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So the first use of the law, what is the law about? Why is it there? And when we talk about the law, we're not talking about the ceremonial law or the judicial or political law, right? Where, so the ceremonial law will be the laws regarding what you could eat in the Old Testament, Leviticus, um, what, uh, what the washings and all that stuff. But what we're talking about is the moral law, which transcends the Mosaic Covenant. It's always been because it's by virtue of us being made in the image of God. So... Uh, and the law is written on our heart, our consciences, we know natural law through creation. So the moral law expressed in the Ten Commandments, what's the what's the point? It's one, it's to show us our need. It, it's a mirror, shows us our sin. Two, it restrains our sin, right? I mean, whenever your parents give you a, a law, it restrains you from doing it because there's it threatens. The law threatens you, right? So it requires... It requires you to do something, and if you don't do it, it threatens you. And then the third use of the law, which only applies to scriptures, which is the, the, the most normative use of it, according to Calvin, is that it is a guide for us to know what is pleasing to God and how to live for God and how to, and to obey him as those that are not under the laws of covenant anymore but are now in Christ, right? So when we try, so going back to Galatians then, it says, for by it says for a person is not justified by works of the law <laughs> and like you said Colin it only the law only exasperates it only exposes it only reveals your shortcomings so that's the first thing that you wanted to hit on so if it's not by works then what is it by then it must be by grace. And I, as I was reading up on this, I read a, a section on Spurgeon that Spurgeon wrote on justification by grace. And the first thing that he opened with is he said, justification, if it's not by the law, it must be by grace. That's the only other option left to us. Mm-hmm. And grace is uh, the fountainhead. Think of like a fountain. It's the mm-hmm. fountainhead of all of God's benefits to us or all of God's good things to us. So sure. like water flows out of a fountainhead, so does God's benefits towards man flow out of that uh, grace that he has for us. Awesome. So, yeah, so grace is the source, right? The origin. So it's by by grace, and grace is a gift. It's a gift given to us. Okay, so that's that's good news, right? We need that. So we're, we're acquitted. We're standing before God, and we're acquitted based on 
a gracious act, right? And so that's when he went on to the second part when it said, um, by works of the law, or no person is, is justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So by grace and then through faith. Okay. Yeah, but signifies a turning point. Paul's like, this isn't going to work, but here's something that will work. Mm-hmm. And he says it is through faith in Christ. But faith is not a work. Right. It is a gift of God, <laughs> as we learned in last week's sermon. Yeah, faith is not a work. It's not something that you contribute to. We're actually, there's, there's we always, dis- if I could distinguish, Michael Horton here, help me out with this. There's a distinction between what faith is and what faith does. So there's a passive aspect to faith, and then there's an active. And we always, at least the modern church, I think Christians in general, we think of faith as in what faith does. And this is why we confuse obedience and faith. Therefore, when it comes to the condition as to receiving justification, we will say it's by faith, but if faith means obedience, what have we just done? We've turned grace back into works. And so faith is, it, there's passive. All it is is it's receiving. It's the hand that receives. It's the mouth that is open that receives the food, right? Mm-hmm. It's use that. It's the eyes that take in Christ as you look to him. It's leaning upon. It's uh, so like when I think of leaning, I picture myself on the end of a dock. I don't know why. In a straight jacket. That's cool. And then I lean off the dock onto a raft all my weight right i'm that that's it it's clinging so the other illustration that spurgeon used was he talked about a limpet you know what a limpet is i have no idea actually it's like it's a it's a kind of a it's it's a type of snail actually that live on the rocks of the seashore and it's kind of like a mollusk and so he tells this illustration of what it means to cling and he says Go down by the seashore with a walking stick and see a mollusk there and strike the mollusk off the rock. And and you take it off right away. Now try the limpet who just was given a warning because you he heard you strike the mollusk, his friend, his neighbor. Try to get the limpet off. You will strike, you will strike, you will strike. You will break your stick, you will break the rock, but there's no way to get the limpet off as it clings to the rock. It doesn't hmm. know the geological formation of the rock doesn't know how big the rock is he just clings right and he's like that is what faith is and that's that's all it is it's a simple clinging i loved your illustration last night too right? yeah if i yeah if i can actually take that a step further yeah, go for it. It, take it a step further Colin. i will so so uh in the sermon i talked about the idea of uh faith being like an engagement ring mm. if christ is an engagement ring is made up of a band and a gem right or a, or a diamond yes and so expensive right got, yeah 600 bucks for the band wow yeah. Start saving. So, so <laughs> seriously. <Yes. laughs> Every man listening right now, that's just the band. The diamond costs way more. Yeah, hopefully so. you guys are at work saving for this right now, but let me talk about it while you are. Um, there is... They're just hoping for more stimulus checks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, the, the band is like faith and the gem is like Christ. So what that band does is it wraps itself around the finger and it, it just clings to that. It envelops that gem yes. and hangs onto it. Mm. And faith, even though it's $600 for a ring... The, the band isn't really anything in itself, but it's when it is linked to that gem that it actually becomes something. Yeah. Now, to take it a step further, the assurance that we have in faith, this is where the picture gets really beautiful. The, the, uh, yeah. Think of a man who uh, wants to get engaged to a girl, and he gives her this ring and, and puts it on her finger, and now that, that uh, band of faith is holding it onto her. Mm-hmm. So that is what, that is what 
um, links us to Christ is faith. That's how the promise is given to us. Mm. But that ring is also a promise. And so if you imagine he goes away for vacation for like three months before they get married. Yeah. Every time she looks down at that ring of She's reminded. She's reminded of how much that he loves her. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing uh, for God and for us. So now now we have this faith and we have primarily Christ to look to. She's not yeah. going to look to the band that's $600. So we haven't even got there to the object of our faith, which is Christ. Right. Right. So, yeah, let's keep going. With the, she, so yeah. she's not going to look to the ring that's like $600. She's going to look to the that gem, that beautiful mm. sparkling gem, and she's going to remember how much that, that guy loves her and that yeah. he is coming back. And that's just engagement. And I... Caitlin and I, we always have conversations about this when, especially early on in our marriage, when we were, you know, we would have stupid arguments or whatever, and it would cause uncertainty or there'd be maybe insecurity or whatever. And I would frequent, frequently go back to say, hey, remember the covenant. Remember the vows that we made. Hmm. Look at your finger. It's the sign of the covenant. Remember what this ring that I have, it's a symbol, it's a sign that uh, in sickness and in health, and <laughs> I don't even know all of it, wealth and prosperity or no those are both two positives <laughs> in poverty and you know whatever and, and then, everything until death do us part like though that's the promise and so the ring is reminding me of those promises that i made which then puts my soul at ease my heart at ease knowing that there is security that there's uh you know that there is a love there uh, a covenant relationship not a consumer relationship and so even with christ Christ, that's why constantly we have to look to jesus we fail all the time we stumble we fall we we sin against him and so by faith even as christians we need to continually to cast our heart and our mind to the diamond which is christ right Mm -hmm. reminding ourselves of the covenantal marriage that we have entered in by virtue of our faith in him and so that leads us to what you already got in, the active and passive obedience in Christ. So, so faith is clinging, right? It's, it's passive, but then faith do, what faith does is there is, it, it produces an obedience, what Paul calls it the obedience of faith, or faith without works is dead. Obedience and, or faithfulness is not faith. So faith, faith and faithfulness are not the same thing, but faithfulness or obedience is the result is the fruit of true saving faith. And so that's where I would say, yes, our fruit of obedience does give, we're talking about assurance too, Mm. (laughs) but the fruit of our obedience definitely does help us with assurance, but those, but our fruits are subjective. They change. So if, if you want assurance, we need to continually look to the objective means of our assurance, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's Christ's life and death. The fact that he said, to telestai, it is finished, right? Um, and so that is also a common denominator when I'm talking to, to believers that struggle with assurance is they're constantly looking to their own fruit or they're navel-gazing. <laughs> they're, they're looking to themselves. They need to look outside of themselves, the Latin word, extranos, outside of. You need to look to an alien righteousness. You need to look to Christ. You need to look to the blood that's painted on the, the doorway, right? Um, which is your salvation, which is your assurance. So justification, we're standing before God. How are we acquitted? We're acquitted, declared righteous, not by works, but by grace. We have a gracious God. Through faith, okay, so we're trusting in, we're clinging to, we're looking to Someone other than ourselves, someone outside of us, not our good works, but to Christ. Now, what is it about Christ that acquits us 
or gives us the righteousness that we need in order to be acquitted, in order to be declared righteous before God, right? That's right. The, that's the question that we're now on. Right. Because to, to finish the verse, it says, Galatians 2.16, for no person is just justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So what is it about Jesus Christ? So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. He says Christ like three times, mm. and not by works of the law. Again, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's like a full circle. He just brings it full circle in his argumentation. So, But Christ, obviously, in the middle of that argument in that verse, is mentioned three different times there. So what is it about Christ, that diamond, that acquits us? Let me just, I think, yeah. a helpful, uh, sometimes it can be helpful just to condense a big idea down to something just short and concise. And um, in the London Baptist Confession, it explains exactly what it is about Christ that makes us able to, to receive something from him by faith, which, which is able to justify us. And what, so what chapter of this? We're in the 11th chapter of the London Baptist Confession. Okay. It is of justification. Uh, the third section in that says okay. it's talked about um, faith that we must have. It says, it says, faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Alone, sola, faith. sola fide. Yeah, faith alone. Yet it is not alone. So faith is just an instrument. And then it says, yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. So, Which is what you're talking about. about faith fruits, is versus what faith does. Right. right? Cool. And, and that's when the law comes in to help, though. Mm -hmm. It says, um, your word is a lamp to my feet. It shows us how to live now that we've been, now that we've been justified on the merits of Christ. Yep. Now it shows us how to live. Yep. And I, I've told you this before, but I love what Calvin says about even our works once we've been saved. They don't justify us any more than our works before we were saved. Yeah. But God looks on the, the works that we do or the fruit that we're producing out of faith. And just like a father sees a finger painting that his child brings to him. Mm. It's not the Mona Lisa. It's <laughs> not the, the Last Supper by Da Vinci or whoever that's by. Yeah. But it is this finger painting that his own beloved son has done. And so we're even getting into adoption. But because yeah. we're justified, we're made a child of God. And so then the fruits of righteousness then, they're like finger paintings to God. Yeah. It's like they're not really that great to him. But because they were done by his children or because we are his children, he mm -hmm. still loves that. Mm. That's a great picture. Mm. Yeah. Anyways. So, number three. So, we learned, so, section three of chapter 12 in London Baptist Confession, you were saying, then, faith alone is the only instrument, but what is that faith attached to? That faith is attached to Christ, his person and his work, and uh, justification in the London Baptist Confession describes this well. Section three says, Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those that are justified. And he did by the sacrifice of himself in the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead their, the penalty due unto them, make a proper, a real, and a full satisfaction to God's justice in their behalf. There you go. Yeah, so obviously satisfaction. So God's wrath, so we're standing in the courtroom, we're criminals, we're standing guilty, we want to be acquitted, but something needs to happen. God, the judge's wrath or needs to be satisfied. Since we broke the law, the law needs to be satisfied. So how did Jesus satisfy God's justice? 
That's the question. Right. And it's with his own righteousness, and then that mm-hmm. righteousness is given to us through faith. And that's why Paul does it full circle. Yeah. Because it's almost hard to describe what benefit faith is if you haven't described the righteousness and the death of Christ yet. But once yeah. you've explained the righteousness and death of Christ, you see what Paul does. He says, yeah, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. Then he goes on and brings it back around, and he says, um, I need to look at the verse, but he basically he basically reverses the order. Then he says, okay, now that you understand the merits, the righteousness and the death of Christ, now we understand that it is through faith, so believing in Christ, that we are justified. Mm-hmm. So he takes it from from... Uh, it is by grace through faith in Christ, and then he takes it back, and he's like, it's in Christ through faith by grace, and just switches it around. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, I even think of Romans 3, so this idea of righteousness being uh, that Christ has for us. It says, um, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Again, in Christ, by faith, not of works of the law. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. I think of like some people will make the objection that uh, it is God's righteousness, not not so much Christ's obedience to the law that is accredited to our account, which we haven't even got there. Um, But Romans 8 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So you mentioned, Colin, that it's on the grounds, the way that we are acquitted before the judge is on the grounds of Jesus' perfect obedience for us. So how do we then get... Christ's righteousness, his perfect righteousness of his life and his death applied to us. What's the key word there? How would you explain that? Uh, well, it is faith. It's is not infusion, right? Oh, right, right. Yeah, these are important. So actually, um, this is super important to understanding. And um, if you get this backwards, if you get this this point backwards, then you misunderstand the doctrine of justification. So we have justification, which is to be declared free of guilt. Mm-hmm. Declared is the key word. Rendered, regard, shown. Reckoned. Reckoned, yeah. yes. Uh, if you're from the South, I reckon. <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> or or then we have this other doctrine of sanctification, which is that we're progressively made righteous. Mm. And Over so, time, right? Gradually. Right. Gra- it's a process. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, we're talking about justification, we have to understand, one, that it is— It's past tense. Be- yes, it is past tense. Paul says justified, mm-hmm. not— currently being justified, mm-hmm. but that we have been justified. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it is, it's uh, instantaneous. It's like snapping in it. Okay. It, that happens. Instant it's gavel is down. Declarative. Yeah, Declarative. Boom. Right. It's a status change, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the moment I said I do to Caitlin, the moment she said that, boom, status change. Went from bachelor to married, single to, to married. Peanut butter, jelly wear, and <laughs> costume. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Baby on the way. Right? Awesome. All that stuff. So 
So it's instant, you were saying. Yes, it's instant. It happens in a moment. And so um, there's kind of like, as I was reading, I came up with three or four words that begin with, with F that describe justification well. And this gets to our imputation versus infusion mm-hmm. question. So when it is finished, when, it, when it's declared, when you're declared righteous, you are declared righteous. There's no going back. There's no finished. changing it. It's not a process like sanctification is. It's just mm-hmm. instantaneous. You are now declared righteous. Secondly, it's free. Like Paul says, it is through faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. There's not by works of the law. It's not by anything you can do, but it's through faith in Christ. So it's free. Mm-hmm. It's also forensic, which goes back to that that Law, declaration, legal. right? It, it's a legal yeah. uh, verdict. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, it's foreign. And this is where we get to imputation versus infusion, is that the righteousness, which is Christ, that you've received by faith, it is a, it's a righteousness that's foreign to you. It's not anything that you've done, but it is accounted to you or it's, hmm. it's uh, passed to you, right? And so that, yeah. so that you can be declared righteous. Mm-hmm. It is, so imputation, if you break it down in the Latin, it means more of to declare or to, to render, show, regard, reckon, like we're saying. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that, that it is infused to you, yeah. which is the other word, which, which would be to, to add it into you. Or, or Gotcha. And that's what in the Roman Catholics believe when you're baptized as an infant, you are infused with the righteousness of God. You're, in a sense, that's the first step of your justification. And then if you fall from that, if you commit a mortal sin or whatever, you then go to the sacrament of penance, which in order to make—you have to have contrition for sin, and then you need to confess your sin to a priest, and then you have to make satisfaction for that sin. So the the priest will say, all right, in order to make up for what you did, you need to do X, Y, and Z. You come back, and then you're absolved. Then you're restored to your justified state. But it's— Understand this, in the Roman Catholic system, you are justified through your sanctification. Through working, you are justified. So they flipped. Sanctification comes first, and then justification. In Scripture, we see that it's the opposite. You are declared, past tense, the moment that you believe. All of Christ's credentials, all that is His, all of His righteousness is accredited, accounted, into your account, imputed. It's a banking term, accredited. Uh, blessed is he whose the sin counts no iniquity. Or Genesis fifteen six, for Abraham believed God and counted to him as righteousness. That counted word is is a banking term. And every single one of you listening know about this because last year you were you were accounted or credited stimulus check money. I wasn't because I was seventeen. Okay, but your parents were, and then your future kids are definitely going to be paying it off, right, right? Because of that. But you understand, but. By virtue of just being alive, pretty much, <laughs> uh, this new welfare system, right, uh, accredited to your account money, which immediately wasn't worth as much because then inflation started going up. But you get the point of accredited, right? And that's what happens is in the moment of faith, when we look to Jesus by faith, all that is his is imputed to us, and we are declared righteous. We are acquitted before God. God looks upon us. He no longer sees our sin because his son has taken that from us. Like Zechariah. You gotta, you should read that portion again. I will, um, yeah. Uh, just for illustration. I want to read the London Baptist Confession, chapter 11. It explains this. It says, Those whom God effectually called, he also justified, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting, banking term right there, and accepting their persons as righteous, 
not for anything rotten them, not by works of the law or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience into the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and sole righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves. It is a gift of God. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. So good. Like I like the one about this confession is better than the Westminster on this for sure. Um, But that alone is, is enough to explain why, why it must be faith that, it's not our faith that justifies. It's the object of our faith, right? It's not the band. If the band of the ring is our faith, it's not that that gives it its sparkle. It's the diamond, right? right? right. And, and that is so key because when I ask students, how do you know you will be received or acquitted on the day of judgment? They say, one time I believed. I remember mm-hmm. one time I walked an aisle or raised my hand. So, so you're putting your faith in faith? Not a solid foundation. Don't put your faith in the fact that you had an experience or that you believed. Put your faith in Jesus, in the object of your faith, right? And so a good illustration for what imputation looks like, this great exchange, Zechariah 3. Yeah, Zechariah 3 is talking about uh, Joshua the high priest standing in the throne room of God. And this is a, a good picture of that. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, Zechariah is having a vision, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan is standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And now Joshua is standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. I think there's... um, Beautiful. It is. I think of Isaiah 61, 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Hmm. You know what uh, Luther's favorite verse to go to to describe justification to preach on? I don't. It's out of a book that many people haven't read, but it's out of Song of Solomon. I got to find it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A beautiful book. um, And I I tend to interpret it more Christocentrically. Christocentrically, meaning it's a great picture of our covenant relationship with the Lord. Yes, I believe that whoever it is is speaking of a actual marriage and relationship. There's definitely historical context there. But I think the greater illustration is of Christ and his church. Man, I don't know the exact verse, but um, it's, oh yeah, verse, chapter 2, verse 16. Just this simple phrase right here. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He gazes among the lilies. Like, it's just, my beloved is mine, and I am his. That union with Christ now. And that is, that's that's what happens when we become justified. Is All that is Christ becomes ours, and all that is ours 
or was ours, becomes his, and he covers it. Um, and so moving just as we close this, Colin, why is this important for the Christian life? Because um, some people, they think of justification as just the entryway. It's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, your car is dead and you need a jump start. You know, so they mm-hmm. get the jumper cables and they start the car. All right, justification. That's Forget what it was. Forget about it. Yep. Yeah. All right, we're, we're good. Move on now, right? But I think justification is vital to saying, like, we will not grow in Christ if we detach sanctification from justification. Even today, like being a Christian for I don't know how long it has been. This doctrine is, I would say, the core, the motivation, the everything that has to do with living for Jesus. Um, so any practical things like from your reading that you read that w- were helpful just in thinking about the Christian life and this doctrine? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, um, it's such an assurance. It's an assurance of your faith because when you have faith in Christ, as, like we talked about, that because faith is the instrument and the uh, it's an instrument mm-hmm. on Christ alone, right? And so that means that faith is rooted in Christ. So your faith is as strong as whatever it's rooted in. And we know that Christ is God himself. He's immutable. He's all-powerful. Yeah. And so if your faith is rooted in that and in his perfect works and in his death, then that also means that if you are justified, you're just justified. Mm-hmm. Like there's no there's no going back. You don't like you don't sin and then you need to go do penance or something like mm-hmm. that. There's, repent, a, there's rep- repentance that needs to happen, yeah. But, but true repentance always l- ends with clinging to Jesus by, f- by faith, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. Faith, yeah. uh, just as an example, um, I was talking to um, a former Catholic a little while ago, and she was telling me about the different uh, sacraments that the Catholic Church has. Mm-hmm. And it is all this, they're trying to infuse grace to you, mm-hmm. and it's it's all by works. It's really it's so like a, sad. Uh, the understanding of infusion is, okay, I need grace— picture it like a vending machine you know and you, the penance yeah. there's different ways and you're like okay i need it and you put your money in you go see indulgences or whatever you go see a priest and they give you here's your coke of grace or whatever and you drink it all right you're good right but it's still that's kind of infusion that's kind of like the idea is of the catholic church they hold well really the virgin mary holds all the merits of christ right and then dispenses those upon those upon sinners by virtue of a priest interceding for them it's weird which is a it's a sad way to live because it's it's like being caught in that hamster wheel of i have Mm -hmm. to do more i have to do more i have to do more so when you see between justification and sanctification the catholic church if you're building a building Mm -hmm. the catholic church tries to build the building and then put the foundation on top Mm. and that building's just going to crumble because they put justification as after you're sanctified yeah. We put justification first, which or the scripture puts justification first as the basis of your sanctification. Yeah. And so as you're as hopefully if you're a believer, if you have been justified, you long to be sanctified. You want to be made more like Christ, like Romans eight thirty says. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand as you're on that that uh path that justification is the basis of yeah. that. I think the other way that this is applicable is in the Latin phrase, um you're gonna have to help me with this. Sure. Uh, semper justus et peccator. Did I say it right? Sim- yeah, semper semper justus or justus, mm-hmm. depending on the church or regular Latin, <laughs> et peccator. Yeah, and what that means is we are both simultaneously saint and sinner. And so a lot of people think that, oh, when I become a Christian, I am, yes, you are a saint, but you're no longer a sinner. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, they view the Christian life in terms of triumphalism 
as uh, the great victorious Christian life. You're you're just climbing up this hill of of holiness, and and it's all about your discipline and your I don't know progression. When I think the Christian life is more look, I think more accurately we look at the Christian life through the lens of the cross and pain, right? What Luther called this the theology of the cross versus a theologian of glory, mm-hmm. uh, or a theologian of the cross versus theologian of glory. And we have to understand, as believers, we are both sin- simultaneously sinners and saints. We fail. Um, we're going to fail. We we have we have a need for Christ still, and so we live in this dual, <laughs> this dual, I guess, world in a sense. Uh, the the already not yet, uh, I think, is a good way to put it. We're yeah. we're pilgrims, and so you're going to trudge through life, and you're going to have seasons of of despair of doubting your salvation of of God's presence not feel not not seeming like is not there um and sometimes God withholds his presence so that the only thing left that you are called to do is just to believe and trust in his promises um but I think that 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 is a really helpful for us because I think a lot of especially students are like why do I still sin why do I still struggle with this it's like the effects of sin, sin are, have not been eradicated yet, but at the same time, you have to look back at who you are in Christ, um, and that's that you've been declared righteous. I think of uh, John Bunyan's allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, when he tell steps— b- What's that? I said, tell me. What yeah, when he, when he steps before the cross, when Christian, mm-hmm. who's been on this journey, and he has this big burden on his back. Think of, yeah. of Hoover from the other night, right? <laughs> He's— He's only like it's close to the beginning of the allegory, though, or the mm-hmm. middle, where he steps before the cross, and then that burden rolls off of his back, mm-hmm. right? That's when he was justified. Yeah. The guilt rolls off of his back. He he's no longer condemned, yeah. and so then he continues on his way. It's not an easy journey. The point mm-hmm. of the Pilgrim's Progress is, is to show us that there are other things along the way than mm-hmm. just you're justified. Boom, enter into the celestial the city. Dungeon of despair, man. Yeah, he. I think he fights Apollyon I, after that. Yeah, I love I love the dungeon of despair scene because he has the answer with him the whole entire time mm. it's just that his his sin and guilt and shame and despair has have clouded him from seeing the promises of god and he's just beaten and beaten and beaten by the dun by the uh i don't know the guy's name the, the troll thing yeah, yeah yeah and until he realizes that the key he had the whole time and that's the christian life like we feel beaten and beaten and, and what you need to realize is the key you have christ you are his you are a son he will complete the work in which he started in you you know all those precious promises um it's a good picture for those that are down and out i think justification is a sweet balm a medicine to those to those type of people that doubt their salvation um that are struggling with sin i pray that this people are like well this is just free grace yeah it's going to cause people to sin even more and I love what Thomas Chalmers says. He says, the freer the gospel, the more sanctifying the gospel. And the more it is received as a doctrine of grace, the more it will be felt as a doctrine according to godliness. Hmm. Like, boom. So good. Um, all, all these, the Canons of Dort says, just as it has pleased God to begin this work of grace in us by the proclamation of the gospel, so he preserves, continues, and completes his work by the hearing and reading of the gospel by met meditation on it justification um here's another one thomas adam justification by sanctification is man's way to heaven sanctification by justification is god's Mm. that's good 
good. And so, yeah. And just the last application I think is we live in such a performance based world. And you were talking about that last night. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Can you think back? Maybe even what are some what are some things in your life right now, Colin, that seem to be just performance based? Pretty much everything, <laughs> right? No, no. But yeah, we do live in a performance a performance based. And it's not terrible. Culture, right? Not terrible, but it it translates into our the way that we view God. Yeah, it, it will translate into your yeah into your salvation, into your view of salvation, and that just isn't right. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, I think with justification that. Um, it is applicable to your lives now when you feel that weight from, like I said in the sermon, like when you feel a weight from taking a, a test and you fail and yeah. you feel like your worth is tied up in that. It's applicable for you. It's not, I don't think justification should be or can be this uh, doctrine that's tied up on the top shelf of a dusty theological library just mm-hmm. in, in tomes of the past. No, yeah. it needs to be like a, an active hype man among our ranks as Redeemer <laughs> students. Like it, yeah. we, should be, we should be pumped up about this doctrine and we yeah. should love it and it, sh- it comforts. Amen. Yeah, from school to sports to getting into colleges, everything's based on our performance, right? And and so it's so easy for students to think, ah, therefore I need to achieve or earn God's favor. But you need to realize that if you're in Christ, you are no more accepted at that moment than you will be in years from now. Or if you led a million people to Christ, you're no more accepted in Christ than, than you were the moment you received Jesus. Hmm. You're no more righteous. <laughs> and even any good righteousness that you do is still tainted with with sin, um, and so your only hope is just to cling to Jesus, like the little limpet, the little snail. Amen. Right? Be a limpet. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, it's been so good talking about the doctrine of justification. Colin, thanks for joining me in this, and I hope more and more can experience. What were some? Just really quickly, what were some of the best things that you read? Some like that you could point people to to study this more. Hmm. Um. Luther on the methods and fruits of justification is very good, and it's in a sermon form. I read it going to bed one night. I just you get it for free from yeah free broad free grace broadcaster. Go to that and just look website. it up. You can download it. They give you free stuff all the time. It's awesome. It is. I get like twenty dollars. Yeah, uh, free stuff every month. Yeah. Um, read uh, Spurgeon. Anything his sermons on justification. You can look up just Online. Spurgeon on yeah. justification and just listen to those. You mm-hmm. can do that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think those are two of the Pilgrim, best, most successful Pilgrim resources. Theology. Michael Horton, Pilgrim Theology is really good. That was great. Um, I remember Thomas Watson was really great when I was reading it. But I would say the most helpful, or actually uh, uh, The Quest of Godliness, I think is what it's called, by J.I. Packer. He takes the mm. Puritans, and there's one chapter on justification that's really good. Um, that, I remember reading Pilgrim Theology for sure. Um, I'm trying to think of any other... I didn't read Calvin on it. Calvin's really good in the Institutes oh, on I'm it. I'm sure he is. He's, he's the master. Um, but anyways, those are some great... So R.C. Sproul. Mm. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Bavink in... If you can get a copy wonderful of Bavink. Works of God. Wonderful Works of God. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I think R.C. Sproul, The Essential Truths of the Christian Faith, is a great place to start, or everyone's a theologian. Um, R.C.'s really readable. J.I. Packer's very readable. Um, I would say Michael Horton's very readable as well. So... All right, that's that's what we got, man. All right. The only thing I got left to say is sola fide. Sola fide. Yeah. Happy Reformation Day. Yep. You guys have a good one.